Welcome to the CEC Report for the 7th of September 2018. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is CEC leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome Craig. Yeah, thanks Elisa. And on today's show we have the Bankers Prime Minister cannot protect Australia from a financial crash and the hidden empire building an Australian police state. So firstly, the Bankers Prime Minister cannot protect Australia from a financial crash. So we already talked on last week's show a little bit about our new Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, uh, and his attitude towards the banks and towards the people, which couldn't be starker. Yeah. And just to revise a few of the recent uh, things he's had to say, which reflect that stark contrast. Firstly, he has, of course, blamed bank victims uh, for being too passive, and therefore it's their own fault that they got into trouble. Uh, he has said to people that if they don't like interest rates being raised by Westpac, uh, that they can change banks. Of course, the number of banks they can change to is dwindling as they all follow suit and raise their rates. We'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, and then this week, he said uh, that he knew exactly how bad the banks were and how bad their behaviour was, uh, but not that people were affected by it. And we'll, we'll show a clip of that in a moment. Uh, he had, of course, said in April that the revelations coming out of the Royal Commission, quote, are not things that the government was not aware of. And look, clearly this is why they didn't want a Royal Commission, they didn't want the full truth to come out. Um, but before we talk about it, we'll just roll the clip of Scott Morrison. One of the things I learnt about the Banking Royal Commission, if you just give me a bit of time to explain this now. As Treasurer on the Banking Royal Commission, what I focused on first was I wanted to fix the problem. I knew there was a problem with accountability. I knew there was a problem with competition. I knew there was a problem with behaviour of boards and all of that. Mm. And I set about doing the things that I thought needed to do to fix that. So the more powers for ASIC, the banking executive are rules and laws which could outlaw people from working the banking industry. But what I didn't, where I failed, was to properly understand the real pain people had been feeling about being treated so badly. Well, yeah, the banks were more dodgy than you realise, weren't they? Well, no, they, they actually weren't, because that's why I was taking the action that I was already taking. But what, okay. what I didn't do, Neil, and this is where I do regret, is that Australians needed to work through the deep okay. hurt they've had on this. Now, I, the things I was worried about, I'm still worried about. I mean, banks are now not lending as much. They're clamming up, and that can have a real effect okay. on our economy. Now, his claim that the government knew the problems and were focused on fixing them, dedicated to solving all this, is a complete lie. I mean, look at the letters patent for the Royal Commission. We'll put it up on the screen. It mm. basically says our banking system is perfect. In You know, the letter calling for a Royal Commission into those banks uh, it says, whereas Australia has one of the strongest and most stable banking, superannuation and financial services industries in the world, which performs a critical role in underpinning the Australian economy, and Australia's banking system is systemically strong with internationally recognised and world's best prudential regulation and oversight. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. I mean, the, that, this is the same mantra that's been going on for, for a long time, Elisa. Now, go back to 2013 we discovered that there was an intention to bring bail-in mm. into this country, which is a process where banks can basically steal people's deposits with the government's approval. Mm -hmm. Now, this is law in the, United, the European Union, it's law in Canada, it's law in New Zealand, right? And we said this law is coming here. Now, it did come here. 
It came here in February in the sense that there was a, uh, a resolution bill put up in the Parliament. It was called the Crisis Resolution Powers and Other Measures Act of 2018, which gave APRA unprecedented powers. Mm. Now, Scott Morrison's presiding all over this, right? Yeah, he this was is the, the one that saw it through. He's, he's the one that saw it through. And what happened was that we mobilised on the APRA bill, our base. Now, remember this, we've been organising against bail-in since 2013, so we've built up an enormous following of people that have followed this fight of where we've been putting the banks on notice that they need to be dealt with. And we're mm. talking, we talk about Glass-Steagall specifically, the break up the banks, you know, to separate out the necessary commercial banking from all the speculative and the nasty stuff that the people are seeing with the Royal Commission. But what happened in February was this APRA bill to give APRA more powers was passed. Now, we tried to put up a resolution uh, to, to exclude people's deposits so the government and the banks could not steal people's deposits, mm. as is law in other countries. And it was just rammed through Parliament. There was only seven members of the, of the Senate actually there. It was done by just a vote, just not even a vote. It was just an agreement. And the point is that uh, this was rammed through, mm -hmm. and now we have APRA been given de facto powers yeah. of bailing. Yeah, and now, uh, Scott Morrison was the guy that oversaw this, yeah. and that's my point. And he admitted that um, when he actually tabled the legislation in Parliament for vote to be voted on, he foreshadowed that this legislation was required before a financial crash because that would be the gravest threat to Australians. Yeah. And the point is that bail-in legislation was invented as we've documented it in our Australian Alert Service and on our website you can find that information, um, was created by derivatives dealers because after uh, the crash of Le Lehman Brothers and the whole financial system nearly came down 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, Lehman, the anniversary of that Lehman crash is the 15th of September, so it's coming up very shortly. Um, they got together over a weekend and they said, OK, if another such crash were to occur, what mechanism can we have in place as an emergency management mechanism to allow our speculation to continue? That's right. And that would mean throwing it back on the people mm -hmm. as an insurance policy that if the banks were in trouble, they would be recapitalised by certain investments, bonds and even savings in many cases. And what you've got is, is the Prime Minister, is the head of the Liberal Party, the Liberal Party is the Bankers' Party. It has mm. been for decades, going right back into, you know, prior to, uh, to, to the 1940s, 1930s and so forth. Different name back then, the United Australia Party and so forth. But the point, it was a Bankers' Party. It still is the Bankers' Party. Mm. So if anyone got any ideas that somehow the Bankers' Prime Minister Morrison is going to be looking after their interests, then, look, yeah. I don't think people are that foolish because this idea of blaming... The, uh, the blaming the, uh, victims. The, the, the victims is a measure of what this guy Yeah, is and like. the only reason this government under Turnbull did eventually go with the Royal Commission uh, was our campaign against bail-in, which generated a huge backlash against the banks. Also, you had uh, the Labor Party that eventually moved on it and shortened eventually. Uh, he should have done it much earlier, but he eventually moved to support a Royal Commission. And I'll just say... This week on Wednesday, um, he was forced to move again, Bill Shorten that is, uh, and he called for an extension of the Royal Commission in terms of time frame and scope of investigation because, as he put it, thousands of Australians have raised it with him. Yeah. Now, he didn't go looking for those thousands of Australians, no, we can assure you. 
These are people we've mobilised that because we've put the solution of Glass-Steagall banking separation on the table are demanding solutions. This is forcing a change. Which Bill Short knows about because we've had our supporters, you know, we're a political party, so we've had our supporters stand up in meetings where Bill, Bill Shorten is speaking and demand that he goes with Glass-Steagall. And he knows. And he says, oh, no, we're not going to go for Glass-Steagall at the moment. But see, this is not, the point is not what happens right now. What's going to happen in the future? Mm. Look, the global financial crisis, we're not going to go through the specifics of this in too much detail on this program, but it hasn't been solved since 2008, 2009. We're into a, we're, everything's got much, much worse. And consequently, we're in for the same, you know, mm. a, a worse global financial crisis, Mark II. Mm. The only solution is to protect the existing banking system, which is Glass-Steagall, and people are now starting to hurt. You've got, you know, all these investors that can't, get more mortgages again, can't roll over their mortgages. Mm. And, cons and we go through this in the Australian Alert Service, so people should you know, call in for their copy. These people are going to represent an increasing majority of the population. Mm. They're going to be pounding down the doors of our representatives who are being complacent and complicit in allowing these fraudulent policies to exist in our banking system as is being uncovered by the Royal Commission. Mm. So if Bill Shorten wants to survive, you know, any time at all as the next Prime Minister, assuming that he does become the next <laughs> Prime Minister, why does he keep fighting against what's taking place with the banks in, in this fraud? You know, mm. He should be joining us, yep. calling for Glass-Steagall. Obviously, he's taken the right move in extending the Royal Commission, but look, he only did that because he's under pressure. And the thing about politicians is that ordinary mm. people speaking up, going to see their Member of Parliament, whilst that might be a bit of an intimidating thing for the ordinary person, it's the most powerful person, the thing the person can do. Mm -hmm. And we've sort of encouraged our base, our people, our ordinary folk to go and pick their MP. Because mm -hmm. an MP will take notice if you show up on their doorstep and say, look, you're going to read this petition particular material on glass yeah. or whatever. So hit the Labor Party hard because they could get ahead of the curve here and it would be immensely popular if they went with Glass-Steagall. Now we've got to take a quick break but we're going to come back and talk a bit more about the specifics of the housing bubble. Welcome back to the CEC Report where we're talking about how a Prime Minister beholden to the banks can't help Australia in the oncoming new global financial crash we're facing down right now and Australia's housing bubble could quite frankly according to a lot of international analysts be the trigger of this new global financial crisis because it's so big it's much worse actually than the US housing bubble in terms of statistics uh, was pre-GFC. Um, so you have of course interest rates rising, you have property prices falling, you have the resetting of many interest only loans and you have a record debt bubble, so you have this perfect storm gathering. Now, just in regard to the, the record debt bubble, I want to begin by showing a short video clip. Uh, this is John Adams talking about the debt bomb of credit that goes into housing as a percentage of GDP. And this is him speaking on, he's an economist, of course, a former advisor to Liberal Party figures. And this is him speaking on Martin North's show, Walk the World, which you can find on YouTube. Now, just going back to our very first episode when we talked about the, the in terms of the debt bomb, there was a particular graph that I showed, which was the uh, housing to credit, which is a series from the RBA mm. relative to GDP. And I made the point at the last recession, it was at about 21, 22%. Uh, and then as of June of last year, 
uh, it got to 95%. Well, with the uh, GDP numbers that came out today, I looked at, well, where we were as of June of 2018, and we are at a record high. So credit to housing as uh, like a, as a nominal figure is 1.768 trillion, which is the highest on record. Um, and that was for, for, for June of 2018, that number comes from the Reserve Bank. And then credit to housing as a proportion of GDP is at 96.01%. So, so, so that is a record high. So the behavior that has been concerning me about we, where we were at the last recession, where we are today, it has continued to go, uh, to go up. So the amount of credit going into housing is 96% of the value of our GDP. You also have um, the savings figures of Australians that are now uh, lower than what they were pre-GFC. And with the interest rates, um, of course, as we said before, uh, the other banks, CBA, ANZ, Suncorp and Adelaide Bank have all followed Westpac, so we're just waiting on NAB. The banks so far that have increased their interest rates will be earning more than an extra million dollars a day into their coffers by doing this. Um, Westpac is the most heavily focused uh, bank in terms of investor mortgages and interest only mortgages, so it may not be a surprise they moved first. 50% of their lending book are interest only mortgages and they also wrote a record amount of 15 year interest only loans, which is way, below, uh, way beyond the norm of five year interest only loans. So we're looking at a disaster here. Absolutely. Listen, the other thing is that the, our banks have got an enormous number of overseas loans, you know, international loans, foreign loans. So they've got a lot of foreign debt. Mm. So any pressure on interest rates from overseas immediately impacts on what's taking place with our banks domestically. Mm. And this is a real vulnerability for us. Yeah, that's exactly what's beginning now. Mm. And it's just the beginning. Um, now, I want to give, uh, you know, hearkening back to the GFC, the 10 year anniversary, I want to give two insights from the book, The Big Short, and which, of course, you can watch the movie if you hadn't. Uh, it's very, very relevant to rewatch now. Because what uh, is mapped out in that book and that movie about uh, the period of the global financial crisis applies even more so to Australia today. And these in two insights are from Dr. Michael Burry, who was the first figure in the US speculator investor to short subprime mortgage-backed securities with credit default swaps, because he was one of the first to actually recognise that the mortgage uh, market was the basis of a bubble, so he could see the advantage he could gain from shorting it. So firstly is the question, why were the banks lending so recklessly? This was one of the things he couldn't understand what you know they stood to gain from it. So he said this, what you want to watch are the lenders, not the borrowers. The borrowers will always be willing to take a great deal for themselves. It's up to the lenders to show restraint, and when they lose it, watch out. And of course, that's something that we need to look at at our banks today with this mad lending, as we've just seen uh, the figures of. Second thing he raised is the question of recognising a bubble uh, by the fraud that goes on. And this is really relevant to our system. He says, it is ludicrous to believe that asset bubbles can only be recognised in hindsight. There are specific identifiers that are entirely recognisable during the bubble's inflation. One hallmark of mania is the rapid rise in the incidence and complexity of fraud. The FBI reports mortgage-related fraud is up fivefold since 2000. 
Bad behaviour, the book goes on, was no longer on the fringes of an otherwise sound economy. It was its central feature. And Bury continues, the salient point about the modern vintage of housing-related fraud is its integral place within our nation's institutions. Lisa, when Franklin Roosevelt brought Glass-Steagall in 1933, he was dealing with exactly the same issue with the banks. They were fraudulent, they were def you know, defrauding ordinary people through all sorts of fictitious instruments and so forth. When he brought Glass-Steagall in, in 1933, he separated out the necessary and protected, the necessary commercial banks from all that sort of activity. So what you're talking about from the big short is exactly relevant today and exactly why we need Glass-Steagall mm. in our country. And that's why we have a bill in the parliament now calling for the separation of the banks. It was introduced, of course, as viewers would know, by Bob Catter. Uh, you know, a couple of months ago now, and we're waiting for that to be debated. Mm. And, you know, you look at how we're dealing with it today, you know, contrast that and putting jank bankers in jail and so forth yeah. um, with what ASIC's just done, for example, fining Westpac. It was a record $35 million fine, but, you know... Record? It, <laughs> it has no impact whatsoever. Westpac is continuing to earn $25 million a year off those exact dodgy loans for which it was fined. Morgan Stanley analyst Richard Wiles said the fine would have an immaterial financial impact and was a positive outcome for the banks. What if, what if it was to be $350 million fine? <laughs> that... Well, and some jail terms. And some you jail know, terms and, as well. Because yeah. that's just one offence. I mean, when you put them all together, rack them up and judge, make a judgment on that, yep. um, there's got to be much uh, more severe terms. So, you know, we've got to take action on this. Now, after the break, we're going to look at how the government is planning to deal with all hell breaking loose when this reality really impacts the population. Welcome back to the CEC Report. The Hidden Empire Building an Australian Police State. Uh, now back in June when the foreign interference laws were introduced in the Parliament, Andrew Wilkie, independent MP, said, I will go so far as to say that Australia is a pre-police state. And look, I think we're rapidly passing that phase and getting into the uh, territory of full-on police state. There's new anti-terror laws, surveillance laws and spying laws at every turn. They just keep coming. Such laws we have documented in the Australian Alert Service are being coordinated internationally by the Five Eyes Spying Alliance, which is the US, the UK, Australia, New Zealand and Canada. And the title of this segment comes from the NSA whistleblower, Thomas Drake, who called the Five Eyes apparatus a hidden empire. And the question for our viewers is, and for everyone out there, should pose to their MPs, is this who we want in charge of our so-called security? Because the latest bill... Um, goes beyond anything we've seen before. It's called the Telecommunications and Other Legislation Amendment Assistance and Access Bill 2018. This bill was only released publicly on the 14th of August and yet the de deadline for feedback on it was the 10th of September, which by the time many of you watch this show will have been and gone. Hmm. And the government don't exactly advertise it um, with government ads on the telly. Unlike this political satire from the Juice Media, which we'll show now. 
Hello, I'm from the Australian government. Do you have something to hide? Nah, just kidding. We're not some fascist regime. <laughs> Seriously though, do you? Unfortunately, encryption makes it hard for us to spy on you these days. So just to make sure, we're introducing yet another law to expand the surveillance state. Introducing the Assistance and Access Bill, or Ask Access, for short. Oh, relax. Despite how it sounds, we're not trying to access your data through your back door. We're just after the keys to your front door. Yep, Ask Access will force tech companies to do our dirty work for us. For example, by making them insert a little secret source in their apps, which lets us access your device once you download the latest update. And if they refuse, we'll find the shit out of them. Arse Access. It doesn't break encryption, only your trust in your favourite apps. To bring you Arse Access, we've taken the UK's fascist spying law and made it even more fascist by removing any need for judicial oversight. But don't worry, we promise to only spy on you if reasonable and proportionate. And you know you can trust us. We're the same who doxed a welfare recipient for criticising us, who are prosecuting a whistleblower for exposing our misconduct, who throw kids in concentration camps for seeking asylum, and prosecute the journalists who report on them, and who gave half a billion of your tax dollars to a foundation full of our friends. So of course you can count on us to be reasonable and proportionate. And if we're not, well, you'll never hear about it. Because we've also introduced a 10-year jail sentence for any Snowden wannabes who disclose our abuse of arse access. Arse access. Brought to you by Australia. Where the laws of dickheads can't Trump the laws of math, but they can trample human rights. Now, whole segments of this law, Craig, were based on a UK law passed in November 2016, the Investigatory Powers Act, otherwise known as the Snoopers Charter. And basically, the government can demand of tech companies, service providers, web forums, email services, that they re-engineer or substitute their apps or services or programs to enable them to conduct surveillance hack into or access data covertly or overtly, um, you would have to comply if you're requested to do so. And that might be, you know, some terrorist attack occurs and someone, the police come and say, can you access your friend's phone, you know, with the code, put the code in, it could be as simple as that. If you don't comply, there's five to 10 year jail terms. If you tell anyone about it, because it has to remain secret, you can get five years in jail. So everything about this is top secret. It's supposedly for national security, but if you look at the UK, almost all the terror attacks in the last few years were conducted by people that were already known to the authorities and under surveillance that slipped through the net. And various experts, such as the former NSA technical director, William Binney, have shown that if you collect too much data, it swamps what you're really looking for, the real mm. intelligence mm. that could expose the real threats. Alisa, we published this document you know, a year or so ago, I think it was last year, September, stop MI6. MI5 run terrorism, right? And it goes through in detail how terrorism is state-sponsored. Mm. It's not this uh, you know, person in the back caves of Afghanistan running operations. This is a top-down operation. It could be stopped at any time. So it's a ruse for people to think that mm. somehow you know, these sorts of attacks on our freedom are going to stop anything. It could be stopped, it could be stopped already. That's right. So, no... so this sort of stuff, terrorism and so forth, foreign interference, etc., which is all a beat-up, uh, is encouraged because it gives this top-down control, which is extraordinary. And I want to quote from um, the Home Affairs Secretary, Michael Petzullo. He's one of the figures that was involved in the Five Eyes conference that just took place on the 28th to 29th of August on the Gold Coast. And we would know very little about what happened there if it wasn't for his big mouth. Because <laughs> he spoke uh, in Washington, D.C. on the 19th of June. And he said, nothing less than the transformation of the state itself will be required uh, to guard from new threats. 
He said, we will have to reorganise how government works in order to achieve this and we will have to factor in a transnational model of security. So he really revealed a top-down global operation to allow these security agencies to make specific controls in Australia and, and other destroy countries. destroy the nation more. state, to destroy the sovereignty of nation states and can impose a transnational operation to you know, basically destroy... Yeah, and you think concept. about when Australians find their savings have been confiscated or the ATMs aren't functioning, yeah. what, what's the government going to have to do? They need these kind of controls to clamp down. Now, you can read more about it in the Australian Alert Service. We've written about it this week uh, and recently. So that's all we've got time for, but thanks, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Elisa. Thanks for tuning in and join us again next week. Mm -hmm.